policymakers, in my experience, really do understand and appreciate the, that relationship. Mm-hmm. America needs Canada. Mm-hmm. Electricity is a great example. Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 074, number 74 of the Flux Capacitor. I recorded this episode in Washington, D.C. at the offices of our Washington-based consultants. My guest this episode is... Clint Robinson. I'm a partner at uh, Capital Council in Washington, D.C. We are a bipartisan, bicameral lobbying firm. Clint joined me on the podcast for a wide-ranging discussion that will be a treat for those interested in how legislation is made in Washington. We discuss the challenges of a divided Congress, the emerging comprehensive energy bill, the debt limit, the potential impacts of the Buy America sentiment, and his time on the Hill and with BlackBerry. We also talk about the presidential primary season, and Clint suggests an addition to the Flux Capacitor Book Club that is right on point. Here is my conversation with Clint Robinson, recorded in Washington, mid-March 2023. Clint, welcome to the podcast. It's glad to be here. Good to be here. It's, uh, it's, it's, we've, uh, I've been wanting to do this for a little while. We, we had a really, I thought, a good conversation with the Board of Directors of Electricity Canada, uh, but we didn't record that. And so <laughs> I think what I said immediately afterwards to you was, uh, gee, I wish we'd recorded that. That would have made a great podcast. So sure. this is our chance to, to do that. And also, the world has changed a little bit in the intervening months. So, you know, one of the first things that I that I, uh, I wanted to talk about, and we talked a little bit about this uh, last month, was um, I think how I framed it was, you know, how would you characterize the current political environment in Washington? It's an interesting time. You've got a divided Congress. Um, you know, originally I was, I was, you know, sort of, what are the prospects of you know any significant legislative action? But, but there has been, right? right. Shockingly, right. nobody was expecting some of these some of these things. So, why don't you give us just the, kind of the quick rundown of sort of what's well, happening here? Well, I'll take this opportunity to, to change my answer from uh, from, <laughs> from our last conversation. Changed, That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I think I said that bipartisan agreement on uh, any notable legislation would be very difficult. And uh, in the intervening time, there's actually been uh, two bills passed uh, in, the, in the House of Representatives on two subjects that are very polarizing here mm-hmm. in Washington, the first of which is uh, anything related to COVID. Yeah. And um, the House voted unanimously to uh, compel the administration to release any information that it had on uh, the origins of, uh, of, the, of the COVID virus. Mm-hmm. And uh, also DC autonomy, um, which is also a very uh, contentious and political uh, subject here in, in DC. But um, the, the House voted to overturn a, um, um, a criminal justice mm-hmm. reform law that uh, the district uh, passed. Uh, which would have made uh, certain crimes 
uh, subject to shorter sentences and less punishment. Okay. It was uh, disapproved of by the House, and President Biden, lo and behold, said, well, you know, if it makes it through the legislative process, I'm not going to veto it hmm. uh, because he did not want the Democrats to uh, appear to be soft on crime. So uh, two okay. Okay. very significant uh, pieces of legislation um, that uh, in both cases had bipartisan support. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not a rabbit hole. I, want, I don't want to go mm-hmm. too far down, but uh, D.C. autonomy, because mm-hmm. we're, we're sitting here in D.C. Right. today, uh, that's an issue that comes and goes, right? It, it it's always uh, kind of percolating beneath the, uh, the the surface. Democrats are typically um, more prone to support uh, the legislative process and leadership in in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. They may not necessarily agree with the policies that come out of the D.C. City Council. And uh, signed by the by the mayor, mm-hmm. but they do believe that D.C. should have the ability to uh, make its own laws right. and enforce the laws, even yeah. if they don't agree with those. Mm-hmm. This last um, law was was very interesting in that the city council passed the legislation, the mayor vetoed it. Mm. The city council came back and overrode, overrode the veto. The okay. So even the mayor didn't support uh, the the law that was enacted by the city council. Mm-hmm. But um, the mayor was not keen on having Congress overriding the will of, uh, of the government of the District of Columbia. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit, uh, a little bit of an anomalous situation there. So in Canada, we don't have any, anything at all like the District of mm-hmm. Columbia. So let's see, the district has representation in the House, mm-hmm. but not in the Senate. That, that's correct. Okay. Um, there is a, a delegate. Uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who has been the delegate for to DC for, for, like, uh, for a, a long time, as yeah. long as I can, long as I've been here, yeah. uh, which has been a while. Um, but uh, that's correct. Uh, the delegate can serve. Delegates uh, can serve um, in committees and can vote in the committee of the whole right. um, of, of the whole House, which is actually a vote on the House floor, but cannot vote uh, when the House is actually voting as the House of Representatives. Right. Okay. So. It's kind of odd. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, I don't want to go too far down. <laughs> right. But it does, does, does sound kind of counter to, yeah. uh, wait a second, the Boston Tea Party and no right. taxation without representation? Well, that is what it says <laughs> on the license plates here in... Oh, uh, does it? It, it? Oh, it does. Okay. It, it does on the D.C. license plates. And there are various uh, solutions to the, the problem there, and some are actually supported by... Um, by Republicans, mm-hmm. that uh, solution would entail uh, the District of Columbia reverting back to uh, to the state of Maryland. Okay. So if you look at the map of Washington D.C., it's half of a of a square. Yeah. That square is in Maryland. The other half I used to be in Virginia. Virginia right. Um, but uh, re- Virginia reclaimed that part of the district. Mm-hmm. So that would give the folks in D.C full representation in in Congress um, and uh, would not uh, involve the Democratic Party getting two additional senators in the Senate, Senate, right, right. which gives uh, Republicans heartburn, as you Mm -hmm. might guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Let's 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 pop out of sure. that, pop out of that, that rabbit hole and and come back to, to some of these issues. So, what does so we're not as gridlocked as, as we thought we were mm-hmm. going to be. 
Um, what's the prospect of that moving forward? Do you, do, you, do you think this is a sign of things to come? Or are we, are we kind of past that gridlock? Or is that was that just a couple of... It is... Um, there are some... Uh, some bills that will be coming up that are going to be really contentious mm -hmm. and noteworthy and substantial for the implications of, of our you know, our government. Right. Um, and I speak uh, specifically of uh, the vote on raising the debt limit, mm -hmm. which will come up either in June or July, depending upon how much money the government spends right. uh, between... Uh, now and then, but um, that is a vote that um, Congress is statutorily required to take when our Treasury bumps up against a, you know a, a limit, a hard limit yeah. um, that uh, it is bound to uh, to be under. And um, depending upon uh, who controls what branch of government, mm. that can either go smoothly mm -hmm. or it can be fought. Right. And uh, we are in the latter uh, circumstance uh, these days with slim majorities in the, um, for Republicans in the House and Democrats in the Senate and mm -hmm. a Democratic president. But um, Democrats are typically... More, um, more likely to approve a debt limit increase, and Republicans mm -hmm. are less likely uh, to be excited about um, the uh, raising the debt limit. This time around, Republicans want to attach to the debt limit increase a, a rescission of sorts um, to spending that has already been approved by Congress and oh. signed by okay. the president in previous yeah. Yeah. Um, appropriations bills, spending bills. Mm -hmm. um, the Republicans have particularly identified the $80 billion that uh, was in the IRA bill passed uh, last fall, right. uh, $80 billion for the IRS, yeah. um, the Internal for Revenue the Service, okay. the IRS gotcha. in the IRA bill. Yeah. Um, but um, that and other discretionary spending and by discretionary, I mean not mandatory, which is Social mm -hmm. Security and Medicare, which mm -hmm. makes up the overwhelming majority of our budget. So um, Republicans want to um, uh, attach to that debt limit increase uh, cuts in certain areas of, of discretionary spending. Right. Uh, Democrats, including the president, have said right out of the gate that they're not interested in that. They're not going to negotiate on that. And Republicans are saying that they're not going to vote for a debt limit increase Without it, right. so that makes for a, a pretty interesting showdown this and summer. And for a showdown, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Uh, the 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 spending rollbacks that they want to see from the IRA, mm -hmm. it, it, it none of it is in the um, like the clean energy provisions that were in the act. Or you, do you know, uh, it would um, it would probably get to some of that. Okay. Uh, Republicans haven't laid out to this point to um, what exactly they would right. like. Uh, rescinded. That's still a work in progress, but Republicans are, as a general matter, fairly antagonistic uh, towards some of the the spending that was included in uh, not just the IRA but the the previous infrastructure bill around mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know green uh, um, you know green spending, or yeah. green energy spending. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, said, I mean, so, I was I was in sessions the, this morning that uh, among the speakers were. 
or Buttigieg from uh, um, uh, from uh, transport, right. Secretary of Transportation, uh, and uh, John Podesta, right. um, Special Advisor, and the, a lot of their talking points are about the the significant greenhouse gas reductions that are going to result from uh, from the Inflation Reduction Act. So, uh, right. yeah, it would be interesting to see if, uh, <laughs> given that these are pretty significant talking points for the administration, right, right. If, and if those are, are ones that, that wind up being targeted by... Uh, by uh, I think we could fairly expect that to, uh, to be the case. Yeah. Um, and to pair that with uh, the first question around what might be able to be accomplished, mm. um, there is a very... Uh, big energy bill that's uh, making its mm-hmm. way through the legislative process, right. and uh, Republicans have given that the, the label of HR one, which signifies the legislation that is most important right. to the majority party. Yeah, and uh, over the course of the last few weeks, uh, various committees have um, had hearings on and marked up bills uh, related to, uh, you know, broad energy policy Mm -hmm. from uh, making it easier to get a permit for a well or a mine, um, making it easier to produce uh, fossil fuels on federal land, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. really things that um, uh, Democrats and the president have been working against. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it also includes an expression of disapproval for the disapproval of the of the Excel uh, 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 pipeline. Oh, right. Um, so, okay. that, so that's that, being re 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 litigated. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but um, there are elements in there uh, that have bipartisan support. Right. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if those are sunk by the weight of the, the larger bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would point out one that is. Um, very relevant to Electricity Canada, and that is uh, a bill that would allow for easier permitting for uh, cross-border mm-hmm. uh, grid infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And uh, that um, got got one Democratic vote, I think, in the committee. Yeah. So that is, uh, you know, bipartisan. It doesn't have a great deal of Democratic support, but it is something that is supported. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the truth of the matter is um, we need some kind of permitting reform mm. to enable all of the money that was made available in the infrastructure bill and the IRA bill uh, for that money to be spent right. Um, right. as intended yeah. by the president. Yeah. So we, we really do need some kind of, uh, of, of permitting reform to allow those dollars to, to flow mm-hmm. um, as, uh, as, as intended. Um, there is also um, uh, legislation, there are 20 bills, by the way, mm-hmm. that make up this comprehensive bill. Um, that is not necessarily good news to um, Electricity Canada and its members, but it gets to new reporting requirements mm-hmm. around cybersecurity yep. uh, breaches. Right. Uh, that is also part of this, this bill. That uh, received uh, the most bipartisan support in the Energy and Commerce Committee of any other bills that they that they marked up, mm-hmm. so that's obviously something we'll be paying attention sure. to. Sure, and we've got we've got a cybersecurity bill working the way through, right. through through Parliament uh, through Parliament right. in in, uh, in Canada. So, uh, given that um, permitting uh, is an issue here, as it is, mm-hmm. of course, uh, in Canada, what's the likelihood that 
something actually would move forward either as part of this uh, larger mm-hmm. uh, larger uh, energy bill or, or as a carve out. Mm-hmm. I I'm fairly uh, I, I I think it's it's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, those two bills that I that I mentioned there have as good a chance as any. I think that some of the others around domestic fossil fuel production will have a tougher uh, road mm-hmm. in the Senate. Right. Um, they will be supported by uh, Senator Joe Manchin. Yeah. Um, but um, and maybe uh, Senator Tester, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. for the most part, they're going to face a difficult road over in the Senate. The permitting and the cybersecurity reporting, um, I expect to have uh, some support, some Democratic support, over on the uh, the Senate side, yeah. and it could very well be that some of these bills that have broader support could be stripped out of what is known as HR one mm-hmm. on the House side, mm-hmm. and um, be considered as standalone legislation yeah. on the right. Senate side, right. but more likely be uh, tacked on to um, a vehicle that's already moving over there, like an omnibus yeah. spending bill or, or something, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. I could see that happening, mm-hmm. but uh, the prospects of—I um, don't want to call this a, you know, H.O. one a, a Republican wish list, but it, it kind of is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got everything that they've been talking about since President Trump was was president, and uh, things they've been railing uh, railing against since President Biden became mm-hmm. president. So mm-hmm. it really is kind of a, you know, everything under the Christmas tree kind of bill. So. Yeah. Could you give the listener just a uh, quick description of what Capital Council is? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Capital Council um, is a, as I mentioned uh, earlier, is a bipartisan, uh, bicameral, meaning we have folks that are experts in the House and the Senate oh, okay. um, uh, firm. Uh, we have been around for 15 years, which mm-hmm. predates me by about seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were initially founded as a, uh, as, as a tax firm. Uh, our mm-hmm. founder uh, is, a, is a tax attorney, John D. Raffaelli. And uh, we subsequently evolved into um, a, a firm that uh, works in healthcare, and then we moved into financial services, and then we have built out a, a commerce, uh, uh, energy and commerce practice. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we recently added to our defense capabilities. And uh, But our uh, partners are composed uh, or comprised of um, former members of Congress and former senior staff um, in both uh, the House and the Senate. They're former uh, staff directors mm-hmm. or general counsels. Mm-hmm. Um, People who have subject matter expertise in mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. Uh, various uh, various areas, and uh, people whose uh, areas of focus are you know the political side, and others um, are more on the, the policy side, and others are uh, more on the relationship building mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. So we really kind of cover the uh, the waterfront there. Mm-hmm. So, and and what was your um, your journey? Were you uh, you know, as a young lad in the schoolyard, did you always dream of growing up and being a lobbyist? Well, it first started in, in college, I guess. Um, okay. I was looking for a major, <laughs> and uh, the uh, the classes that I enjoyed the most uh, were around politics and economics and uh, and things like that. And then 
when I really had to pick a major, I went with uh, with politics mm-hmm. and moved to uh, to Washington shortly after I finished my undergraduate studies in Lexington, Virginia, and started an, an internship on Capitol Hill okay. with no job after eight yeah. weeks. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it worked out for me to to stay on in that uh, in that office. And I will point out that my experience is a little bit different, a lot different from most people these days, because I do have bipartisan experience. I started off in a Democratic mm-hmm. office, mm-hmm. and uh, when that member retired, I moved to a Republican office, okay. both from Georgia. Um, and as strange as it seems uh, in this day, their political ideology was not too different, one from the other. Mm. Um, the, uh, the the Democratic member was... Um, Kind of the last of the the conservative Democrats that right. were still fairly prevalent in yeah. Southern states yeah. in uh, in the early nineties. I'll go ahead and say that it was the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the next two election cycles in ninety two and ninety four, um, those members either retired or were replaced by or defeated in re-election by Republican members. So mm-hmm. when I started. In the Georgia delegation, there was only one Republican. It's mm-hmm. hard to think of now, mm-hmm. and that was Newt Gingrich, right. uh, who later became the the Speaker of the House. But all of the rest, with the exception of Congressman John Lewis in Atlanta, were all conservative uh, Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a very interesting um, kind of kind of dynamic there. And I naively thought that that's how. Um, you know, every uh, every office was. They could have Republicans or Democrats in, in a congressional office, which is a, uh, absurd to think of now. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I went, uh, you know, as I mentioned, went into the Republican office, and uh, that member, John Linder from, uh, from Georgia, uh, we were very involved in a major rewrite of the Telecommunications Act. Mm-hmm. And um, over the course of uh, several Congresses, we eventually arrived at the, the, the 96 Telecom Act, mm-hmm. which, which fundamentally changed the yeah. market. Yeah. And uh, that's when I knew that I was interested in pursuing the communications and technology mm-hmm. um, uh, route. Uh, went to work for uh, MCI and WorldCom, uh, and that's a whole different, a whole another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that was uh, that was that was interesting, um, and uh, was with uh, with them through the whole uh, bankruptcy mm-hmm. and uh, you know prospective debar- debarment, which means that they mm-hmm. can no longer do business with the federal government. Yeah. Um, and I moved from there to a small DSL provider out of Santa Clara, California. Mm-hmm. And was only there for ten months before I had the opportunity to go into the Bush administration, and uh, head up the Office of Congressional and Intergovernmental Affairs at the General Services Administration. Right. And I know that's a, a, yep. a mouthful and a lot of lot of lot of words there, but essentially GSA is the central procurement arm mm-hmm. of the federal government. They yep. Uh, we have one in Ottawa as well. There we go. Different, yep. Under yep. a different name, but yep. absolutely exactly. Yeah. So they're in charge of managing government wide contracts and. Yeah. And things of, uh, of of that nature, and it was a wonderful uh, education in how uh, government works. Mm-hmm. And you can talk about government and the executive branch all you want to, but until you've spent time there, you know, and mm-hmm. see uh, you know the sausage being made, it's um, uh, it's uh, you don't you don't really fully grasp all that goes into that. Um, and then I went to uh, to BlackBerry. Uh, Rim at the time, oh, research yeah, in motion, yeah, yeah. Um, and 
was started the I knew that I was not going to spend the rest of my life in in government and uh, but you found didn't out. you didn't go to Blackberry in in, in Canada you were you were oh, Blackberry's that, well I I opened up their office here, here in, in, in Washington, in Washington. Yeah. right yeah. yeah and I you know I started talking to this at this time medium sized Canadian company mm-hmm. Research in Motion Rim mm-hmm. and uh, the Blackberry had just uh, really become more noticeable yeah. uh, people around town with these cool yeah. uh, looking devices that you could talk into or at that time you could just uh, mm-hmm. send uh, send um, text messages or email on and just met a wonderful group of folks in uh, in, in Waterloo Ontario and I knew that that's where I wanted to go mm-hmm. so um, I opened up their office here in Washington mm-hmm. and built out a, uh, a global team and eventually uh, you know, handed off responsibility for Asia Pac and, and EMEA, and I kept responsibility for the U.S. and Central and South America. Mm-hmm. So I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time uh, flying uh, from here to Point South, which was mm. uh, uh, just a, a wonderful experience. Mm. So, mm. and so I opened it up, and nine years later, I closed it down when uh, <laughs> things didn't go as planned at. Uh, what was then uh, BlackBerry, mm-hmm. but it was an experience that would not have changed, uh, wouldn't have traded for anything in the world. So, so you were with a Canadian-based um, for a time a global uh, mm-hmm. uh, powerhouse Absolutely. of an organization. The the well, the fairly recent uh, State of the Union address, a couple of well, a couple of months back now, had a very strong uh, Buy America message mm-hmm. in it as have a, a number of things that have been said and, and the number of actions taken by the administration. Mm-hmm. Should we be worried? Um, I'm just kind of thinking from a, just an overall Canadian perspective. We can talk about electricity, but just right. as, as Canadians and in terms of the integration of our economies, whether it's automotive or energy or services, is Buy America, is this, is this going to become more of a problem for us? I, I just don't think so. Okay. Um, and... Um, I'll, I'll I'll tell you why as a as a as a practical matter, that applause line, if you will, in the in the State of the Union was directed squarely at China, mm. um, and but as as a practical matter, those comments were directed to spending specifically in the infrastructure bill that was passed um, uh, in the in the last Congress, mm-hmm. and I read some really good analysis on what that means. And um, the president referred to construction material. And if you look at, you know, the top 25 exports from Canada to the U.S., there are two of them in there, and that is timber and aluminum. Mm -hmm. And timber is, is interesting because Canadian timber companies have recognized you know, any kind of complication in, in that relationship a long time ago and have uh, over the years been buying sawmills in, in the U.S. Mm. So they are largely insulated uh, from that. Well, the shareholders would be insulated, right, but, right. But, that, but, that, but that doesn't necessarily mean the jobs in Canada wouldn't. Well, yeah. yes, the the, the company. I'm speaking uh, yeah, yeah. from a from a corporate perspective, I guess, from yeah. the, the companies. But you're you're absolutely right in yeah. terms of 
of employees. Those sawmills are in South Georgia, right, um, right. Um, for the you know for, for for the most part, and scattered throughout the South. They're harvesting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. various species of pine down there, right? Um, but um, and and the other is um, is aluminum, mm-hmm. and there is uh, you know an exception in there for if U.S. or you know, domestic U.S. aluminum is twenty five percent more than uh, aluminum available from other sources, then, you know, all bets are off. It doesn't apply. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from a, you know, an economic impact, um, you, know, you know, on a broad scale, not, not so much. Uh, but, I mean, to your point, it's a fair point and not and one that shouldn't mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. Um, set aside is the, you know, the, the, the implications for Canadian jobs. That's no small consideration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But from a... Um, a broader perspective and for, you know, what it means for the U.S.-Canada relationship, Mm -hmm. I would not uh, worry about that Mm -hmm. uh, so much. Mm -hmm. Um, That relationship is is so important. And um, during consideration of, it was was actually conversation around the permitting uh, bill in the Energy and Commerce Committee. Kelly Armstrong, uh, you know, unprompted said, you know, Canada is our, you know, our neighbor and our best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was great to hear a member of Congress saying that uh, in the context of, uh, you know, considering this this cross-border uh, legislation. So um, I just use that as an example, you know, an anecdote on, um, you know, how that relationship is regarded in, on, on Capitol Hill. It's, it's highly mm-hmm. valued and appreciated mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, and part of the conversations that I heard in, in, in uh, you know one of the one of the events I was at earlier today, specifically on on this and on Buy America, mm-hmm. it's interesting the, the the conversation amongst um, uh, you know your mm-hmm. your fellow citizens mm-hmm. when talking about Buy America, it was all about uh, America versus China. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, oh, yeah. and they weren't talking about any other trading partner. Right. Um, so, uh, I mean, clearly that's that's the, the top of mind approach. But mm-hmm. yeah, always concerned about. Uh, what the um, you know what the, what, the, what the potential implications could be for other players here friendly well, fire po- policymakers in my experience really do understand the uh, and, and I said it and, and appreciate the that relationship mm-hmm. America needs Canada mm-hmm. electricity is a great example yeah um, I, I would say and this came up on our earlier conversation that they're probably policymakers don't probably don't understand the extent to which. U.S. relies upon um, Canada's electricity market and the importance of that trade back and forth. Yeah, um, but uh, we aim to educate them on that. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's that's uh, what you that's uh, what you and I are, ab- are, are ab- working ab- on. Absolutely. But yeah, and we, we talked a little bit about that. It's it, it is. Uh, I think I, I characterized it as a, this is a back of mind issue for for for, for folks here. Um, but it, you know, it's not unlike uh, just the general. Uh, situation uh, that electricity mm-hmm. sees broadly. I mean, it, mm-hmm. this is people just don't think about electricity. Um, they flick the switch and, and, it, and it goes on. Uh, it's only when there's a, a problem with right. supply. Right? That's not necessarily a bad thing. You no, know, no, no. Right. Yeah, 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 it's not that, a bad that thing. That that your to, level of reliability right, is so high that it, it, right. Uh, it, it, it also that goes to the Canada-U.S. relationship as well. It's right. it's it's not a, a bad thing that you know perhaps to some extent Canadians and Americans take for granted that relationship because yeah. it's. It's that good, right? So, yeah. um, that's been my experience. Yeah, yeah. It's only <laughs> things like the pandemic and the need to 
to, to get uh, critical supplies and, and critical folks across the border at the beginning of the pandemic that we, I think, only then realized um, some of those areas where, where the interdependency is so great. Oh, boy, that was uh, that was uh, gave me a lot of heartburn uh, as oh, someone man. who travels yeah. frequently back and forth and um, and hearing from members of Congress who represent districts that abut the mm-hmm. the, uh, the the border there, it was a real hardship for them because um, Congressman Higgins, for instance, and uh, the Buffalo area was really vocal about um, reopening the border and doing it quickly and um, fully opening it because his constituents are used to mm-hmm. being able to freely go back and forth um, between U.S. and Canada, and they're yeah. dependent upon the commerce that occurs there across the border. And up until uh, the, the pandemic, they took it for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And when it's you can't do that anymore, that is very disruptive. Absolutely. So. Yeah, and, and, we, and we found some some you know some some challenging uh, times when. We're also so used to being able to send crews back and forth across the border when there's a, a major weather event mm-hmm. in, in you know border uh, U.S. states, Canadian crews uh, go south and, and vice versa. American crews come up into Canada uh, when there's a requirement and suddenly that became a lot more complicated. Well, and, and I think that is representative of the, uh, the interrelationship that those communities on both sides of the border have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a great example of the, the cooperation that goes on between those communities on, on, on both sides of the, of the border. And, uh, and it is, t- to some extent, taken for granted until, like, like we said, you, c- you can't do it anymore. Yeah. And those crews aren't available uh, to come and help folks out in, uh, in New York and the, mm-hmm. in the northeast of the U.S. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about how do we um, you know, ensure that there's a, a greater understanding of that uh, Canada-U.S. electricity relationship mm-hmm. between the two countries. Is, is it a matter of, of telling our story and telling it better and telling it more frequently and, and uh, getting into more forums? A- a- absolutely. Um, and I had a great example of this just last week. Um, and I was going in to have... Um, lunch with Senator Barrasso, and I wanted to have oh, sure, yeah. um, wanted yeah. to uh, understand, um, you know, what um, the relationship was there uh, with um, uh, with with Wyoming, and um, quickly found out that there is a very strong relationship <laughs> there, <laughs> and uh, Wyoming is quite dependent on Canadian electricity mm-hmm. uh, coming in, in into the state. Yeah. Um, and that's a, and I had the opportunity to, to remind him of that. And he was, uh, oh, wow, uh, that's, that's very interesting to know. I wasn't, you know, wasn't aware of that. So mm-hmm. that's just one example. And that was, you know, just last week of, um, those, uh, the conversations that we can, we can have, uh, and it's a great story to tell, mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, virtual, virtually every, uh, congressional office and Senate office up there, we can have some variation of uh, of, yeah. the, of that story to tell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the nature of the electricity business right. that matching of supply and demand um, you know, on a real time basis. Mm-hmm. That even if it is a small percentage, it's often the percentage that ensures that the, the system will a, r- remains uh, stable and reliable. Well, that, that's uh, exactly. You I, know, I even if it's, I think we're working on our talking, uh, our talking <laughs> right, points here. Exactly. Oh, yeah. But yeah, preaching to the choir here. Yeah, yeah even if it's two percent, if that two percent is not on the 
uh, you know, not available, then the system goes down. The system goes down, yeah. yep, and it gets to reliability really quickly. So we talked a little bit about electricity being a back-of-mind issue. I think we need to tell our stories better. One of the sorts of things that you expect to see, uh, you know, this spring, you, you mentioned there's some bills that are working mm-hmm. their way through. Um, do you think any of them are going to be uh, kind of coming to fruition between now and the summer? Uh, and what are the sorts of things that we should be paying attention to? Well, uh, I, I do think that uh, the debt limit increase is going to take up most of the oxygen in the room yeah. between uh, between now and then. That is going to be uh, really kind of front and center. Um, there are some kind of cats and dogs out there that, uh, and we mentioned one, energy, uh, the, the comprehensive energy bill, but there's yeah. also a privacy bill okay. that um, passed uh, the uh, Energy and Commerce Committee last fall with overwhelming bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Commerce Committee picked that up fairly quickly in this Congress. They held a hearing on it uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the exact same bill I shouldn't say exact, the substantially the same bill that passed. And that will be the vehicle going forward. But um, there is a wide recognition that the United States needs a, uh, a, a federal plan for, for privacy. Mm-hmm. Because in the absence of that, um, states, namely California, are um, putting in place their own privacy standards and laws, and companies are having to deal with a patchwork of privacy requirements, mm. uh, according to which states uh, that, they're, that they're in. Um, at the beginning of the year, California added to its existing privacy law, so that added an additional layer of complexity. Virginia just, uh, their law just kicked in on January 1st. Mm-hmm. So companies are having to um, navigate this patchwork of privacy laws in the U.S., and that's going to build more and more pressure at the federal level to have a law that um, uh, that really puts in, in place a plan for, for all the states. California's going to push back on it like they did in the fall because mm-hmm. they don't want their privacy, their standard of privacy, to be weakened by a federal law. Mm-hmm. And that really was the big impediment uh, last fall. Mm-hmm. But I lay all that out because it, it really is something that um, both Republicans and Democrats recognize is an issue. It may not happen this year, but I think that um, it could very well happen in this Congress. And there's going to be work uh, being done on that uh, for the next next two years. So that's one thing I would uh, I would point out that um, would be of interest to any company that has any kind of business in the mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. And we're now entering the uh, presidential primary season. It's it's we're, we're not we're not there yet, but it's not too far off. Well, we've got um, you know a, a few declared candidates uh, so far, and it's it, this is going to be really uh, a really interesting cycle. Mm. Uh, the president has um, given every indication that um, that he's running again. Uh, he, of course, is expected to say he's going to run again, but he's actually... He, he, he kind of would have to say it until... Well, well that's until, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And everybody would expect him to say that even if he weren't planning to run again. But he has, he, with the help of the Democratic Party, have taken very real steps mm-hmm. 
to make sure that he is benefited in a primary, namely um, moving South Carolina to the front of the pack uh, in in front of Iowa, for example, which is where um, uh, South Carolina, that is, which is uh, really where uh, Biden turned it around Mm -hmm. last time around and he wanted to reward South Carolina. And in in my mind, if he was not serious about running again, he would not have gone through the trouble to reorder yeah. Uh, the uh, the timing of the of the primaries in the states, so every indication is that uh, he will in fact be uh, be be running again. Uh, there will be a, a very competitive battle on the Republican side mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to see who's the Republican nominee. By most uh, indications, most polls that I've seen, um, former President Trump leads the field mm-hmm. sometimes um, by you know up to 20 points mm. uh, ahead of the, the second place person mostly being uh, Governor DeSantis mm-hmm. of, uh, of Florida and um, I, I think that we're gonna you know we should expect to see a very hard fought and competitive primary on the Republican side mm. uh, you've got some dark horses um, former Secretary Pompeo, um, is mm-hmm. is out there? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got Mike Pence, of course, right. um, who has who's just in Iowa, uh, giving every indication that uh, that he's going to be running, mm-hmm. uh, throwing his hat in. So, wow. um, we've got uh, Governor Sununu in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. who has expressed some interest. He would be a very interesting um, candidate because he has clearly positioned himself more towards the the center. Of uh, of the party and what the party looked like prior to right, President right, Trump. 20, so uh, yeah. to give um, you know more traditional Republicans a place to go mm-hmm. in a primary. Mm-hmm. You know whether or not he can garner enough support in today's Republican Party is you know remains to be seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to what degree does the primary season uh, impact, or does it impact what happens? Uh, on uh, on the hill and what happens with uh, you know the the business of actually making <laughs> making laws. Well, I would say because that's one of those funny things. You know, we focus so much on on the presidential election, but but the the, the business of actually bringing legislation it, forward and, and making laws takes it, place up on 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 the hill. It's a good question, and it does absolutely impact uh, what happens on the hill. And the yeah. best example of that happened last week okay. when the president introduced his budget. Mm-hmm. Um, which um, historically is a, a messaging document mm. um, that it's very different from Canada, where Canadian the, budgets, the budget yeah. really means something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, in in the case of uh, the budget released by the by the White House, it is really a messaging piece that lays out um, not even the you know Democratic Party's priorities, but the president's priorities. Okay. And it's it's vast, mm-hmm. um, and it uh, you know covers you know everything from environmental policy to um, you know anti poverty programs, and it's it's everything. Um, and um, he's going to use that as a messaging piece to go out on the on the campaign trail. So this potentially would be the basis of his platform. I I, I think that's absolutely what uh, what it was. And is intended to be okay. Um, well, but, in, in that way, it's not that different from a Canadian budget in a pre-election year. But, okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. But if the budget uh, gets voted down in mm. the, in the U.S., we don't lose our 
chief right. executive. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but, uh, but this, this this potentially is signaling what the what if the um, if if the president runs, this is potentially the basis of his platform. Yeah, that's I think okay. that's uh, that's okay. absolutely uh, what it is, and the Republicans will have uh, their version. I don't um, seeing a Republican uh, presidential candidate necessarily adopting what. House Republicans right. come up with he'll yeah. he or she will come up with yeah. their own uh, their own platform, um, but uh, so that really is where um, you know what you know the what what's going on in the Hill impacts the presidential election. It may be kind of tangential, but mm-hmm. it it is certainly part of it. Okay. And then before I get to my wrap-up question, before sure. that, uh, anything that you see in that uh, you know, expansive document, mm-hmm. that budget, that that may be the basis for a, a platform that we should be paying attention to from a from a, either a Canadian perspective mm-hmm. or from a from an electricity perspective. Well, certainly from an electricity perspective, again, qualifying this with the fact that this is not. Going to become law? No, but it is uh, but, indicative but, but of, it, of, of it, what it, uh, it, you know, as, we, as we might expect. It has yeah. you know money for LIHEAP for the low income yeah. um, account housing um, uh, accounts. It's got more money for uh, for green energy, mm-hmm. for job training, for mm-hmm. green energy. Yeah. Um, you know things like that. Things that it's just more of what we saw in the IRA okay. bill for the for the most part, yep. proposing more money to fund those uh, those those programs. Um, but um, so there are things in there that would you know conceivably impact the uh, the energy sector and electricity specifically. But all the the real work gets done in, in Congress, and they mm-hmm. may or may not mm-hmm. adopt what the president has proposed in that budget. Right, right. So the the, the question that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast mm-hmm. is for a book recommendation, and I put them all together in uh, in the Flux Capacitor mm-hmm. Book Club. So um, is there a book that you would recommend uh, to the listener? So even knowing that you were going to ask that, that is still the most difficult question I've been asked. <laughs> <laughs> but I did put some thought into it, and I, I tried to, you know, obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but you might expect that uh, it may run to uh, the, the realm of politics. Well, I, and so I would I, expect I, that. I, so I tried to uh, come up with a book that I enjoyed mm-hmm. that, uh, people who may not necessarily be paying attention to politics every day might also enjoy. So what I came up with was Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72. Oh. Uh, it, it, is, it is a great book. Uh, if you're a political junkie, it's a great book. If you're a journalist, it's a great book. And even if you're just a passive consumer of, of politics, um, it's, it's a great book. Wow. Um, but the, the, the gist of the book is that Hunter S. Thompson has uh, embedded himself in, um, in the 72 presidential campaign, mm-hmm. and he is following mostly the Democratic primary and mostly George McGovern. Okay. And so you really do get uh, an inside view to how a presidential campaign works. Mm. And, um, you know, aside from it being, so it, it's, it's, it's appealing for two reasons. The first of which, it's a great piece of documentary journalism mm-hmm. because you are getting that um, inside look right. of how a presidential 
campaign is run and the access that he gets. I mean, he's talking to the candidates, mm-hmm. to their campaign managers, to their uh, opponents. The access that he his, his, that he got was was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also written in a style that is uh, that's funny and it's easy to read and it's engaging mm-hmm. and uh, you know as you might expect somewhat irreverent. But uh, and he's not at all uh, has no veneer of being unbiased. Mm-hmm. He's for McGovern. Right. Doesn't like Richard Nixon at all. Yeah. He makes that plain. Yeah. But uh, he's he's open about that. But the um, uh, the insight that he's able to provide in that book. And the way in which it's delivered makes it an eminently enjoyable book that I think um, that your listeners would, would enjoy. All right. So Hunter S. Thompson, Fear and Loathing. On the Campaign Trail 72. 72. Awesome. Right. right. We, will, we will add that one. And I haven't, I haven't read that one, so I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. So well, I would recommend it. We will add it to the, to the, uh, to the book club list. Super. Awesome. Clint, thank you very much for, for joining the podcast. It was it, great to have the chat. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Francis. Good being here. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes. Please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen. And let me know what you think of The Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter as Brad Bradley. The website is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 74. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides info on and links to the books which have been recommended by guests of the Flux Capacitor, including Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail 72 by Hunter S. Thompson, Clint Robinson's recommendation. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.